Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Before we get into Ruth, how many of you have ever heard this phrase before, where it says, it says what's the plan? How many of you have ever, whenever you hear, uh, when you hear this, what's the first thing that you think of? Some of you, if you're a teacher, uh, you might think of, you know, students who are trying to understand details from you of like, hey, so like, what's the, what's the plan going to be? Some of you who are maybe, uh, you know, parents, maybe when you hear this, the first thing you think of is you're trying to do things with your kids and your kids are constantly saying, hey, what's going on? What are, what are we going to do? But I think for many of us and for me, I often find myself, uh, even if I don't say this out loud, I'll be maybe doing something that involves my job and I, I just, or I'm in a meeting and I'm just like, I can't really tell like what What's the plan here? What are, where are we going? What are we doing? Maybe, oh, here's a good analogy I didn't even think of. You know, if two people are dating and things are getting serious, you know, and you're sitting there and one of them's thinking just like, hey, so what's the plan? Are we just, are we just going on dates or is this going to turn into something more? And uh, so one of the things I think we often go through in life whether things are going good or whether things are going bad, is we have these moments where we kind of just look around at where we are or what we're doing, and we're just kind of like, God, what, what's the plan right now? You know, what's, what, are we, what are we doing? Where am I going? Where am I headed? What's, where are you going to... What I'm going through right now, I don't really see the direction that it's heading. Can you kind of give me some clarity on what exactly uh, you've got planned for us and got in store for us? And if you've ever had that question before, I hope that today's... Uh, sermon will maybe give you a little bit of a little bit of inspiration for the next time you have that question for God of what the plan is. So before we read from Ruth chapter 2, I want to just give you a recap of all the things that are hanging in the tension after hanging in tension after chapter 1. All the things that if you're learn, hearing the story of Ruth for the first time, if you're if you're watching it unfold and you're thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? You know, many of you have heard the story of Ruth before, so you're not in suspense. But if you were hearing this for the first time, here are the things that would all be, oh man, what's going to happen? The question would be, there's a famine going on and Ruth and Naomi have come back to Bethlehem because they need food. So will there be food for the family? The question that's probably the most important question to all the ancient readers back then would have been, What's going to happen to this line of Elimelech? Because Elimelech's died and his two sons have died. And now the, the line of the family is in jeopardy. Uh, the question of Naomi feels like God has turned against her. And is there going to be, by the end of the story, are we going to feel like God is going to show the kindness and faithfulness to Ruth and to Naomi that, that Naomi has said, I, I hope God blesses you, Ruth. And are, is that going to happen or not? And then lastly, will, will Naomi remain bitter forever? And that word I picked, bitter, is because there at the end of chapter 1, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. For, for that word means bitter. And God has made my life very bitter. So those are, the, those are the things that we're in suspense to try and see how God is going to be at work in resolving those things. So let's start reading. If you would, turn in your Bible to Ruth 2. Or if you'd like to just follow along on the screen, feel free. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So Boaz hasn't entered the story yet, but we're getting introduced to him, and we're getting kind of a foreshadowing of him coming up. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now this may just seem casual, just like she's saying, Oh, you know, let me just go out there and see if I can get some grain. 
But we have to realize that for Ruth, the, the narrator continually tells us that she's a Moabite. She's a foreigner. And the tensions between the Israelite people and the Moabite people were very high. And so this was a very risky thing for Ruth to do. For her to come straight off of this long journey and for her to say, you know what, the harvest is starting. I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to go and try and get some food for us. It was a very brave thing for her to do because, and as you'll see throughout, Boaz is going to continually say, hey, I'm going to tell my workers not to take advantage of you or not to attack you. And so clearly in this story, we already are thinking, oh man, this is kind of a, a bold thing for her to do, a very brave thing for her to go out and do this. And so Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughters. So she, go ahead, my daughters. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, one uh, belonged to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. They answered. I want to point out one thing that you're going to see throughout this story is this phrase, you see it in verse 2, or verse 3, where it says, as it turned out. You're going to see that over and over. Or some of your translations might say, it just so happened. And that's something that the storyteller is doing over and over because, as I mentioned last week, you will never hear the storyteller say something like, and God made this happen. But you will see him saying that over and over every time you see this phrase, it just so happened. Because it's his way of saying, oh, it just seems like this coincidence that this man named Boaz, who is from the tribe of the family of Elimelech, just so happened to be the field that Ruth picked to harvest that day. And some people may choose to say, oh, what a coincidence. Oh, well, that's crazy that that worked out like that. But the narrator is trying to say, there's no coincidence in that at all. That is something where God's hand is at work in the story, and we can see that. So let's keep reading. Oh, oh and, and so the point that I kind of want to make that I think the narrator is going to continually make, but the point that he's saying is God is not a character in the story per se. We have not heard yet, you know, it's the narrator say, and God did this. But just because God is not visible in the story does not mean he is not currently actively present in your story. And so if you're in that place in life where you're saying, God, what's the plan? I don't see you right now in or involved in this. We can never forget that he is both present and that he is the main character in our story at all times, even if we don't see him actively. So let's keep reading. Boaz asked the overseer, the, the foreman of the harvesters, he said, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite. But another reminder that everyone just sees her as the, the foreigner who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Um, so uh, I, I want to point out some things that with the story, it kind of gets a little confusing, but I, I'm not going to get too much into the details, but I do want to paint this picture for you. A lot of scholars say that from here until the end of Ruth's interaction with Boaz, there's a lot of hints and clues about this being similar to an ancient betrothal thing of a man and a woman becoming betrothed together. And I'm not going to point out all of them, but I'm going to point out some. One example is when it says, who does that young woman belong to? Now, yes, it's a shame, but back then, you know, when you were a woman and you got married, you belonged to your husband. Thank thankfully, we, uh, um, thankfully, we don't necessarily talk like that anymore. But one idea is that it's both, you could interpret it as who is she working for because clearly he has his workers and his servants that are 
who belong to him. You know, all these people in my field, they work for me. But there's someone else who doesn't work for me who I see out there. And so it kind of works in both ways. It's a little hint. It's, he could be asking, well, hey, who does she work for? At the same time, he could be asking, hey, is she single? Who does she belong to? Who's she married to? And the overseer says, well, she's the Moabite. Very important. To, she constantly gets brought up. And she came and asked. It says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And here's the, the detail that's a little unique is, we know that in the Old Testament, God's law made provisions where he said, when you're harvesting, leave the margins of your field available so that if a foreigner or a widow needs food, you've left the margins for them to come pick up. But that's not what it says that Ruth asked for. It says that Ruth asked to come and pick between the sheaves, which would have been like picking right where the, the good stuff is. And part of the image that you get almost from the foreman, and this is, this is from what I read, just the foreman basically said, hey, listen, this woman came, and she came and asked me if she could pick between the sheaves, and she's not really supposed to do that. So she kind of did a bold thing by asking for this privileged ability to pick between the sheaves. It might be because she's a Moabite and she doesn't understand the rules, but you almost get the idea when he says, she's been here, and she's been in the field all day except for a little rest in the shelter. You get the idea that he's almost said, hey, uh, I don't have the permission to tell you whether or not you can do that as the foreman, but when, when the owner gets here, I'll let you know. And you almost picture her saying, can I come pick between the sheaves? And her just like standing there all day waiting for her, the response. And he's saying, okay, well, I, my boss, I'm not sure if, if we can, but let me, let me hear from my boss. And so you get this image of her patiently waiting, but often we don't realize how, like I said, it was bold for her to be willing to go pick, and now it's bold again for her to be willing to ask and take a, a bold step to, to try and provide for her and Naomi. Her, the extent of, to which she wants to provide for Naomi is something that's very risky and bold and remarkable. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean from a, in another field and don't go away from here. He's saying, no, please stay. Don't, don't go try and find somewhere else to harvest. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. You get this idea whether it's because she's a, a woman or whether it's because she's a foreigner and that she might be abused by the men because she's not an Israelite. He's saying, I have warned my workers not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this point, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people who, did not, who you did not know before. So here's another uh, hint of a marriage thing going on here. Because the only other place in the Old Testament where it talks about leaving your father and mother is where? Whenever it talks in Genesis about when you become one, you leave your father and your mother and you become married to your spouse. So it's another little drop in a hint of some marriage, marriage fires kindling here. Okay? Um, then he says, may the Lord repay you for what you, have, what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, may I, con er, and then she said, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. This is kind of a hint, another marriage hint, because she's kind of saying, like, I hope to keep seeing you. Kind of a, you know, oh, well, thank you so much. I, I hope that I keep finding favor in your eyes. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. So one thing I want to point out here is 
part of what Boaz is doing that's kind of radical is he isn't just saying, sure, you can come and get some grain. He is saying, you, I want you to know you should be treated as well as even one of my own workers. Not just a, well, here are my workers and you're way down here. He's saying, I want you to come and I want you to be provided for like you were one of my own group. And, and that's a, a very kind thing that Boaz is doing. And, and here's a, a hint that I want to make that I think is going to be important to the point of the whole sermon, which is there's a couple times where people say things in this chapter where you can't tell if they're talking about Boaz or if they're talking about God. So for example, when he says, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So whose wings is she currently taking refuge under? Who is protecting her right now? The answer is Boaz. The answer is also God. That in this story right now, Boaz is making a prayer saying, I pray that God takes care of you. And at the same time, he is actively taking care of Ruth. And so I'm going to come back and talk about this more later. But one of the things I think is so cool about this story is that Boaz is acting as God's agent to provide for Ruth. It's not one of those things where it's like, well, there's Boaz and then God came and provided for Ruth. It's because of his servant, Boaz, that God is working through. Ruth is receiving provision from God, receiving refuge from God. So at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine and vinegar. He's even, he's now welcoming her to be at his table. She's not just, okay, go over there with the other foreigner women. Come be at my own table. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even Go even beyond that. Pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the, the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. This is about two two or two and a half weeks worth of food in one day. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So not only did she bring the grain, but she also brought the leftovers from lunch. Her mother-in-law asked her, and this is like classic mom stuff right here, like her mom sees her come up with all this stuff, and immediately the mom's firing off all these questions. Where did you glean today? What did, where did you work? Bless, you know, bless be the person who took notice of you. She's just in awe. She can't believe it. She was scared that her daughter was going to go, daughter-in-law was going to go get hurt, out working, vulnerable. Any, any of the workers could have maybe hurt her or taken advantage of her. And now she comes back. You, know, I, you can imagine, Naomi's been like at the door, nervous all day, like, I hope Ruth's going to be okay. I hope she's going to make it back home. She comes back with all this, even more than she could have imagined. So she asks, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Then it says in verse 20, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers or one of our kinsmen redeemers. And here is that other example in Ruth 2 where you don't know if Naomi is talking about God or if Naomi is talking about Ruth. I mean, (laughs) or God or Boaz. It says, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her. He We don't know if she means God or Boaz. He has not stopped showing his faithful love and kindness to the living and the dead. 
And she added, now she's talking about specifically Boaz. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And this goes back to what I was saying, where in that culture, the closest male relative would be the one that had the responsibility of continuing the family line. And so here, the question that we asked, is the family line of Elimelech going to end? We see a spark of hope that this could possibly be the one that keeps the line going. And, and in some ways, part of what you... Uh, well, let's keep reading and, and we'll see. But you're going to see Naomi is about to do another motherly thing. But then Ruth the Moabite said... He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. So basically, hey, he even said, come back tomorrow. You know, come, come keep harvesting until the whole harvest is done. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. And she's doing what I think is a classic mother move here where she's saying, listen, that would probably be really smart for you to go back to his place because, you know, he's going to make sure you're not hurt. But deep down, she's like, hey, here we go. This could be a good match right here. So I think you ought to, you know, you know what? You ought to maybe make a cake and you ought to go. Just, you know, just go over there and uh, do something nice. You, you know what I mean? There's kind of this, the mom all of a sudden is like, oh, wow, we've got, we got a shot here. And uh, Ruth, I don't want you to blow this for me, okay? And so uh, I'm joking a little bit. But that's part of the imagery you see here, that the hope has been rekindled. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And so that's the, the end of chapter 2. And there's basically two things that I want to talk about, and then I'm going to be done. And they're very important. But the first thing that we see in Ruth 2, and we see in the whole story, is the mysterious providence of God for you. Never once does it say, and God sent Ruth to Boaz's field. Never does it say, and God sent Boaz out there to check on Ruth and to notice Ruth. It, doesn't, it never says any of those things. But we can't help but witness this story that obviously God's work is completely and totally involved in what's going on. And so whenever you find yourself living your life and you're just wondering where God is in your story, you're wondering, how is he going to help me out right now? How... I can't, God, I want, I want to see how you're working in my life, but I can't even see it at all. Part of what this story teaches us is whether you see it or not, God is at work to bless you. God is at work to take care of you. Just like Naomi said, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. Whether you recognize it or not, when you see these little glimpses of things happening in your life, you're able to maybe go, man, maybe this is God at work doing something for me. Maybe this is a God at work providing for me, even when I don't see it. And then the other side of the coin is that the mysterious, is I want to talk about the mysterious providence of God through you. There are going to be many times, if you are willing to trust God, there are going to be many, many times when you're willing to open up your heart that you are going to be the Boaz in the story. You are going to be the Ruth in the story. Because of Boaz's just extreme hospitality and his deep, deep desire to follow what he believed is a central Israelite God-fearing rule, which is to take care of a foreigner, to take care of someone who is, has no reason to be taken care of. He, he saw the exemplary way. He literally says to, to Ruth, I've heard about you. 
Because the whole town's talking about you. You know what, what they're talking about with Ruth? That she was the one who stuck with Naomi and was faithful to Naomi. And he says, I'm so impressed by that. I'm so drawn to that that I can't help but want to be the one who pours out and takes care of you. And, and I just, I want to encourage you to think, you may not ever see yourself as someone that God can use to provide for someone else, but it's absolutely crucial that we realize that when we choose to surrender our lives to God, when we choose to be a part of what God's doing, that each and every one of us, that Raymond, that Floyd, that Weston, that Ginger, all of us are people that we may not realize it, but when you see that car pulled over on the side of the road and you think, oh man, that, that lady might need some help changing her tire. You are a part of the providence of God in her life that day. And whenever, man, I got a flat tire today. I don't know where God was in my story today. You can say, well, you know what? God provided for you through that person who came and stopped on the road and changed your tire. Or whenever um, we, we got to hear a story, and we may even watch a video about it, we got to hear a story of one of the people that we helped from our benevolence fund, Tony Gomez, a guy who's on dialysis, and he's been having to, he basically can't work because he's constantly having to go get dialysis. And what he said was he had to pay for the dialysis with their last bit of money that they had. And whenever he came home, like I said, he, hopefully you'll get a chance to hear the story from him too, but when he came home that night, he told his wife, if we need to buy something tomorrow, we just don't have it. And he went to bed that night, and as he was laying in bed, there was a knock at the door, and Ronnie Baker was at the door with the money that the elders had said, yes, let's, let's get some of our benevolence funds to help out this family. In that moment, this church, because of your giving, because of your being willing to share your funds with our congregation, and because of that benevolence fund, we got to be a part of being the mysterious provision of God in his life. So I want to encourage you that whenever you find yourself wondering where God is in the story, always just realize that it's incredibly mysterious how God is working and his fingerprints are moving, but he is present, whether you see him or not, he is working. And sometimes you are the reason that he is working in someone else's life. You are the vehicle or the instrument that he is using to bless and provide for someone else. And never forget that you have that opportunity each and every day. If any of you would like to learn more about what it means to be a Christian, would learn more about giving your life to Christ and following him and making yourself available to be the one that God uses to provide for others, I'd love it if you'd come and talk to us. If any of you have any prayer requests, anything that you need to pray about, whether it's with here in front or maybe more private, Steve Clifton will be in the prayer room. And I'd encourage you to do that while we stand and sing this song.